So Genesis 42, 1 through 20 says, When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around here looking at one another? I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Now go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy some grain. But Jacob couldn't let Joseph's younger brother Benjamin go with them for fear that harm may come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine. For a famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was the governor of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. We're from the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. He said, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there's actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with your father right now, the one, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted. As I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I will swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your younger brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I will keep the rest of you here in prison, and they will then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, it turns out that you do not have a younger brother, then I know that you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to him, I am a God-fearing man, and if you do as you say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove you are telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed. Praise the Lord for his word. His younger brother stays at home. Of course, we know that his younger brother was Benjamin, and Benjamin is Joseph's full brother, right? He'd be the one that didn't throw him in into the well. So he's got a special place in his heart in, in a couple different ways. And so he wants to see if his brothers are treating, um, if the brothers, the 10 brothers are treating the one brother, Benjamin, like they treated him. You know, inevitably, most likely, he's going to be his dad's favorite. He's the youngest in his old age. He's a, from Rachel, and Rachel has passed away, so he's going to probably cling to. Benjamin even more, especially with uh, faking, I guess, Jacob's or Joseph's death, right? Jacob is heartbroken, and this is where we're at. So this story is an interesting one. It really represents some symbolism in here, right? So as you look through this story, you're going to see the brothers are going to 
represent us. The brother's going to represent us in the fact that they are sinners in need of a savior. Their salvation is, comes through uh, food because they're all starving. Well, they're also spiritually starving in the story, right? And Joseph is going to represent Jesus because he's gone through a trial and he's risen above that. And in that, um, he has an opportunity to come before those who accused him of just being a bad brother or whatever they want to say, just being annoying. I don't know what, what it was. It's probably a little bit more than that since they want to kill him, right? Um, but now they are actually fulfilling the dreams that he has. They bow down in his presence, and he remembers his, the dreams. It's been quite some time since this has happened. We're looking at at least 19 years. At least 19 years since this has happened, because you figure he was in prison for 11 to 12 years, and then he's got seven good years, and now at least one bad year. So you're probably talking about 20 years ago that this all went down, not to mention the journeys and things that all go in between all these things, right? It's been 20 years. They couldn't recognize Joseph because Joseph had his head shaved bald and was oiled up like an Egyptian, probably under the sun, and where Hebrew men would have been covered up uh, to keep themselves out of the sun and things like that. And he would instantly know them because they would probably not be much different from when he would known them 20 years earlier. Jace, uh, on the other hand, Joseph would have had all his hair, hair shaved in the, in the Egyptian tradition and things. And was not speaking their language, so they wouldn't necessarily expect their brother to be alive, not knowing necessarily what was happening with their brother. So there's a famine, and there appears to be grain in Egypt. Now Jacob tells the ten brothers to go down to Egypt, and they all stare at him. They all look at him like, what'd you say? Because where do you think Joseph inevitably would probably end up when they put him in a caravan going south with embalming stuff, embalming spices and things. Who embalms people? The Egyptians, and that's about it, right? So they're going down to Egypt. That's probably where Joseph is. They don't necessarily know that, but they can probably make that conclusion pretty easily. They may have asked before, but the, the story doesn't really say. So they're all staring at each other. Like, they don't want to go down there. They don't want to be, they don't want to be faced up with the, their sins, right? They, they sold their brother into slavery. What are we going to do? And jo, Jacob's like, you guys got to go or we're going to die. That's how long they've put this off. We've heard our neighbors are coming back with grain from Egypt, yet we're not going. How many times do we get into that story? in our own life, where we come alongside and we know there's a hole down that road in a sense, right? I'm going to sin if I walk down that road or I've gone down that road and I've sinned. And I don't want to go back down that road because it's going to remind me of that sin. So I'd rather forget the story. How many times have the brothers have told the story of how the wild beast ate their brother? How they found that thing? He's, he's dead. They all believe it. They all think that that's what it is. And 
it's just amazing. And now they're faced with the prospect that they might run into Joseph or that we might be able to find out what happened. There's, there, it all could come back to bite them. And bite them it does, but not quite like they expected it to. So they have lied to themselves throughout the years how he's been killed by the wild animals. They have to face up to this fact. They've lied to their father. And look what it's done to Jacob. Look at what their lies, their deception, their hate has done to their father, the patriarch, the person that is supposed to have the promise of all Israel is not the man that he used to be. And you read Joseph's story, or you read Jacob's story at the end. Too many J names, right? You read Jacob's story at the end, and he kind of gets that attitude restored back to him. The boldness. And it's amazing to see how that relationship restores him in there. And we can relate to this because we've seen sin catch up to us in the past. It's the time that we broke mom's lamp playing baseball inside when we weren't supposed to, and we glued it perfection, at least for her poor eyes at the time, um, until she gets up close cleaning it one day, and she goes, boys, what happened to my lamp? Now, that's not happened to me, but we've broken plenty of things. My mom's, and we've gotten caught. I just couldn't think of a thing right offhand. Um, but uh, my sister's chair, I remember breaking that, snapped that thing right in two when my brother landed on it as I pushed him into it. You've got to fix it, or you've got to replace it. You're going to buy it. I'm tired of this horsing around. And boy, was I motivated for woodworking the first time in my life. And uh, I've stuck with it ever since. So... It's an interesting thing here that they get stuck in this to see how God's going to work in their life. But this is not a concept like today, what do we call that? We would, the world wants to call it karma, right? They want to say, oh, well, you know, it came back to bite you. That's karma. Right? Well, guess what? I don't believe in karma because karma wasn't invented by God. It is an, it's another religion of the world. And so when somebody says, oh, that's karma, and I'll say, actually, that's justice. It's God's justice, right? It's God's justice, and it is his way of taking care of things, and his discipline usually follows that. And that's what they're running into and this kind of goes back to this spiral that the brothers have started down. It started with the rape of their sister, Dinah. She was raped. They go in. They said, oh, we can all be friends if you guys all get circumcised. They wait three days, and then they kill the whole village when they're in the midst of their pain. They kill everybody. We don't see any repercussions for that in the Bible until now. Until now. We see this weird story that's placed in between the beginning of Joseph's story 
in 37, and then in chapter 38, we have Judah's story. Well, if you look at what Jacob has done for Joseph, he is saying that the blessing of the Lord is going to come through Joseph. But that's not what God said, is it? God said the blessing of the Lord is going to come through Judah. And no matter what Jacob wants, if it's contrary to the will of the Lord, then it's not going to happen. And the blessing comes through Judah, just as it was prophesied before and after this. And Judah sets the wonderful example of how not to behave. He has two sons that aren't worth anything. So God's like, I can't have an heir through those guys because the path they're going down, it that's a big old hole. That's, we ain't even going to get down that path. They're going to be wicked before we get it. They're going to be corrupted before we even get there. And so he has to go back to Judah, and he uses Tamar. Um, he see, Judah sees that Tamar is pregnant, and Tamar says, I'm pregnant by the man whose staff this is and whose basically blessing from the Lord this is. It's prayer shawl. He's willing up to give up his religion or his relationship with God for a one-night stand. She steals it. When she's pregnant, she hands him back to them. When, she, when Judah is saying she deserves to die, once he finds out, that it was he that got her pregnant, that story changes really quick. She was more righteous than I, right? And she was. Because Judah put Tamar in a desperate situation, and God was going to make a way. God doesn't say it was right, how it was done. And here we have the reckoning, okay? Here we have the, the sin that's been unconfessed, is all coming to fruition. And as the story goes along, they continue to go darker and darker. They're trapped in their sin. They're unable to rescue and restore themselves. And yes, the brothers in the story, they represent you and I, people who turn away from God and they want to live in their sin. The worst sin is the sin that is forgotten by a sinner and left unforgiven before God. When there's something we've done in our past that was bad, we deceived ourselves, and we have not confessed that to the Lord, it's trouble, right? Especially, I'll even say there's worse sin than that would be that we've done something we haven't confessed and we haven't gotten right with God, right? We haven't turned to him for our justification uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's would be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus calls the unforgivable sin. So if you ever wonder what that is, that means you haven't given your life over to God. You haven't pledged allegiance. You haven't surrendered to him. That's unforgivable, and you will go to hell if you don't do that. Right? You're like, oh boy, this is a cheery sermon, pastor. You're doing a great job. <laughs> but Joseph, Joseph, on the other hand, he represents Christ. He sees his brothers. How you treat my younger brother? He gets a little angry at first. But I don't think that God necessarily 
is all lovey-dovey when it comes to our sin, is he? He isn't like, oh, Shane, that's okay. It's okay, champ. You just get back up there. No, I don't think God does that to me. I think God says, yeah, that's right where I put you because you didn't listen. Now, if you want to get it right, you can get back up. You can do this, but you're going to do it my way. Right? Or the highway to hell, in a sense. So Joseph comes down hard on his brother. He puts him in prison. He wants to see their character. How do you find somebody's character? You put them in prison. How does he know that? He was in prison for 12 years. He would know. It dries out your character, whether you're a good person, bad person, and he could see what they're clinging to. He could see what they're clinging to, and they're clinging to this relationship with God. So the relationship the Lord has blossomed and grown in Joseph's life, and he is able to pull this out of his brothers to see where they're at. How are you going to treat my younger brother? How are you going to do this? What's it going to look like? So as they go along, there's unconfessed sin is caught up to them. And we praise God because he's using this situation to bring us back to him. You ever think about that? The trials and the tribulations that come as a result of our sin, we praise God for those because he is drawing us back to him. And some of the symptoms of unconfessed sin and forgotten unconfessed sin, it drains your passion. It drains your passion for ministry. Why would I want to reach out and be something for a Savior I don't really feel it saved me from anything, and really he hasn't because I haven't allowed him to. Or maybe he strains your passion for your family. Look how Jacob is just a lesser man after Joseph has died. Maybe friendships have lackluster friendships, or maybe your job just isn't doing what it used to do for you. It, it drains your passion. The reality is our priorities, when it comes down to it, they're set by us, right? So if we want to deal with these unconfessed sins, if we want to deal with relationship building, we have to make that a priority, don't we? When it comes to lots of different things. But... I think of the three T's, right? Time, talent, treasures, right? Where do we put our time? Where do we invest that in? Where do we put our talent toward? Where do we give our money to outside of ourselves? And if we only give it to ourselves, that gives you an answer as well, doesn't it? You become your own God, which is honestly the hardest battle that I deal with all the time. It's me versus God rather than another religion versus God. It's, it's, I'm a very selfish person, and um, I had to come to that reality this morning when God woke me up at 5.30, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and he said to me, when was the last time we really talked? And I was like, it was just, it was, then the, it was, yeah, those were all the times you were talking. You were listening very well. And I said, Lord, forgive me. That was this morning. That happened to me this morning. So we all 
fall short of God's wonderful things. But let's come down to it. What are we going to be talking about this morning? What are we going to do this morning? We're going to do something different than we've ever done. Like I said, we've done this up in the youth room. We're going to take our time on Sunday mornings to come and be a part of the fellowship. Then we got to know who the fellowship is. We have a lot of new faces and a lot of old faces this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the front row and we're going to turn it around and face the second row. And we're going to take the third row and fa- turn it around and face the fourth row. And then I want people to pair up in each one of those rows, and then we're going to rotate through so we get to know some of our friends and family here at White Rose Fellowship Church. Why would you do that today? I wouldn't do it at all, but the Lord said to do this today on a sermon on unconfessed sin. Because if I'm going to have the courage to confess my sins, like I just did this morning, right? at 5.30, and then I confess it to you right now. I want, one, I want the pastor to be able to set that example, and two, I want to know who I'm confessing to. So we're going to introduce ourselves to each other. We're not confessing sins this morning. That's not what we're doing. We're just getting to know each other. We're going to sit there, we're going to introduce yourself to the person sitting across from you, and you're going to say your name, tell them where you're from, a brief, things like that, right? And then I'm going to ask a question. I have a little app. It's called Question App. I know, it's crazy. Why would I get these things? And you will share, and then you'll give a chance for your partner to share. If you have time, you can pray for one another. Okay? When we get done, you probably want your bulletin if you got one. Otherwise, we're all going to read the Disciple Maker's Prayer. Okay? So I want, I need some help. We're going to take and move the front row and flip it around and the third row, and we're going to flip it around, and then we're going to continue in just a minute. So if men, you would stand up and help me, I would appreciate that. Cool. Yes. All right. So go ahead and introduce yourself to the person across from you. All right. Now here is a nice... Opening question. It's a nice opening question. So listen up here. What's one thing you, you don't think you'll ever be able to do? Something that you don't think you'll ever be able to do. I'll never be able to do that. Share with your partner. What is something that you don't think you'll ever be able to do? Now I want everybody that is facing the back door to stand up and I want you to find a new partner. I want you to go sit into a different location. It's all right. Stand up, move to a different location. Reintroduce yourself. If if you may know each other for a long time, you may not. All right, now here's the question. Here's the question for your discussion groups. What was your worst vacation experience? What was your worst vacation experience? 
All right. Wrap it up a little bit. We're going to do one more shuffle. Okay. So, how do you determine if something's right or wrong? How do you determine if something is right or wrong? All right, here's the last question that we're going to do this morning. Nope, you're going to stay right there. You build rapport. Yes, no. You built rapport with this person, so we can go, we can ask a little deeper question, right? So, what is one thing in your heart that you know for sure? What's one thing in your heart that you know for sure? That you know, that you know, you should know? Well, share. Share with... So, why would we do something like this today? Why would we get into our uncomfortable zone? Because I said so, right? Yeah. We get to know our family better. What's our culture teach us? Our culture says, you know, you can get to know your family through your phone. But you don't really get to know your family. You get to either you get to know the perceived self on your phone, the ideal family, that things. You don't get to hear the brokenness, the hurting. You don't get to see the, the pain and the suffering, or that's all you get to see because that's all they show you. You don't get to see the success, the, the glory, and the gloom all in one. And when we do relationships, yes, that's no, kidding. He was, I, I figured it out too late though. Um, when we do life together like this, right before vacation Bible school, when you get to minister with the person next to you that you got to meet them, you got to understand them, that you know deep down in their heart what they stand for. Isn't that kind of cool? Isn't that easier to come alongside your father, brother or sister in arms, spiritual arms? And say, we're pulling for the same team, or we got a likeness that we're pulling for anyway, right? What a blessing. That's what community is. That's why we call our name White Rose Fellowship, right? White Rose is a celebration that somebody surrendered to Jesus Christ, and so we put a white rose out, and that's new life. That's why we are called White Rose. And fellowship is because that's what God's called us to do. When we're making disciples, we do that in the guise of a fellowship of believers. Why do you want to be in a fellowship of believers? Because, what's that? Strengthen, absolutely. Pull yourself, it's the old get by the campfire, take a coal and set it outside of the campfire. What happens to it? It dies. It, it can't sustain itself, right? But as soon as you put it right back in the campfire, boom, it lights right back up. It's one of the best illustrations of community and why we need to be in community, right? And sometimes we've got to figure that out on our own. Sometimes we can figure out that out because 
our community's been very strong for us. This is one way to strengthen the community today, folks. So I hope it's been beneficial for you. Because now when you have some, you have some responsibilities now. Yeah, there you go. Um, you have some responsibilities. Um, you have somebody that comes into church now that you can remember their name. And they're going to remember your name, right? You're not going to mess them up and call them Crystal like I did this morning. Yes. That's right. Don't worry. Caitlin's probably beat me enough for all y'all. So. <laughs> um, but we're going to be able to have somebody we're going to be able to jest with. We're going to have somebody we're going to be able to follow up with and things like that. And that's important. And once we are able to do that, it builds community. And community builds on top of community right? Fellowship builds on top of fellowship, and it builds a bond that brings us together. Because when we get into, like I said, there's, there's, there's almost kind of like two churches happening in, at White, right, White Rose right now, because we have a lot of new people in here, a lot of new people, which is exciting. But we as some of the veterans need to remember we need to be more vulnerable, and this reminds us to get out. And some of the, how do we bridge those gaps? Well, pastor told me to right? It was pastor's fault, so you can blame it on me, and then I'll say it was all Jesus, right? And I'll still get fired. <laughs> that's all right, though. If I'm following him, that's, that's what I want to do, right? <laughs> Let's read this together. If you can read up there, if you're facing my direction, or you can read up there. If not, grab your bulletin. Um, if you can't, just pretend like you're reading it, because uh, um, I'll, I'll say it nice and loud. This disciple maker's prayer, this is something that's kind of like a mantra, in a sense, that has gone with Cadre Ministries that's come here. This has been my goal as a pastor, that we have a disciple-making lifestyle learning, and that we want to not only build up the people around us, but we want to build up people that don't know who Jesus is as well, right? So that's what this prayer is kind of all about. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. If you can help me switch the chairs around, that'd be great. You're dismissed.